Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every week, every Saturday at 12 noon, to defend and to promote public education. That's public education which is public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's public in access. It's available to all children, whatever their background, and therefore it should be secular and it should be universal. Uh, it's also public, or should be, public in ownership and control and above all, it should be public in funding only because it's the only one that can be accountable. And our democratic governments, if they are democratic governments, mm. should provide a first-rate public, secular, universal education for every child in this country. Well, we know it's not so and we also know that there's a lot of money wandering around the world looking to make a profit and the eyes of investors have fallen upon the public systems of the UK, the United States and Australia. So we have a press release 614 this week for you. Uh, It is on our website at www.adogs.info and if you want to find out any more about us you can go to www.adogs.info adogs.info for press release 614. And this is it. Charter for profit schools can never be public schools or advance the common good. Profiteers are not satisfied with making profits out of the childcare, religious TAFE and university sector. They're knocking at the door of Australia's public primary and secondary systems. Not only is David Leonhelm, the Liberal Democrat Senator for New South Wales, wanting to introduce for-profit schools in Australia, that right-wing think tank, the Centre for Independent Studies, in a report entitled Free to Choose Charter Schools, How Charter and For-Profit Schools Can Boost Public Education, is arguing that the United States' privately owned charter schools should be rolled out in Australia. Such schools are funded by the government and run by private entities. They have full autonomy over school finances, staffing and curriculum. And you can have a look at that report. Uh, we've given you on our website the, um, the handle to get that. To label them public schools is mischievous and misleading. Public is exactly what for-profit schools and charter schools are not. Because, as I've said earlier, public schools must be public in purpose and outcome, access, ownership control, funding and accountability. Uh, Charter schools, like all private and religious schools, fulfil only one of these requirements. 
they are public in funding. In other words, like all private schools, they're given access to the public treasury so they can profiteer at public expense with minimal or no accountability. And as Robert often says, this leads to corruption. Now, the response in the age of the 30th of August that broke this story uh, to this report uh, by the Victorian government, uh, there was a response by the Victorian government and there was also a response by the unions, it lashed on to the autonomy, so-called, of these schools with reference to the isolation and the abandonment of public schools by the previous government and also a reference to Pine's independent public school initiative where he's promising to give $70 to any public school that promises to be, quote, independent. (laughs) Well, it's a question of who they're independent of, I suppose. The uh, plan is that they should become dependent on private enterprise. In Victoria, the systematic decentralisation of the public system and the romancing about autonomy and privatisation, which has been going on, by the way, since 1981, and this date, 1981, will become very prominent later in this program when we are talking to a gentleman from the Greek community and about uh, the relationship between the Greek Orthodox Church and the state in Greece. But uh, this 1980s uh, saw the beginning of privatisation in Australia and the bringing together of church and state in this country. Uh, This has laid our proud public systems open to capture by powerful profiteering religious interests. And since the 1970s and the introduction of state aid to private schools, we've lost sight of the common good and the education of all of our Australian children. Now, Trevor Cobalt from Save Our Schools has already produced research to counteract the so-called research being produced by think tanks like this independent studies group with uh, uh, a lady called Buckingham. Uh, He he attempts, he, he has uh, written something very interesting and it's up on the Save Our Schools website. This is what he has to say. For-profit charter schools in the United States have no better results than traditional public schools or non-profit charter schools. In particular, for-profit cyber schools in the United States have been disastrous with much lower results than traditional public schools. Uh, Such schools in Sweden have failed to improve student results. Indeed, they have a major factor in the decline in Sweden's school results over the last 15 years. There's no robust evidence that for-profit schools or charter schools generate educational improvements. Many of them have gone bankrupt. And of course, as we found with the TAFE sector, they leave their students in limbo. If you privatise something and it doesn't work, then the students are left high and dry. They've paid for something or their parents have paid through the neck to get something and then when when the school goes bankrupt, they don't get the goods, goods, do they? For example, last year, the biggest for-profit school provider in Sweden, JB Education, collapsed, leaving massive debts and its students having to find other schools in the middle of their courses. As well as that, we've seen the collapse of the for-profit higher education and vocational education companies in the United States and Australia. And this provides a salutary lesson about resorting to this kind of education. Corinthian Colleges, for example, which is one of the largest 
uh, vocational educational companies in the United States run for profit, um, collapsed earlier this year, leaving with thousands of students with massive piles of debt or loans in default because in America you have to take out a huge loan for life if you're going to get a tertiary education. Uh, So there's been a litany in both the United States and in Australia of dodgy vocational providers that have failed to meet vocational education standards and have lumbered students with huge debts. And for those people who come from Asia hoping to get PR, uh, they sometimes find that they've spent an awful lot of money and got just a debt. They haven't got what they came or thought they were paying for. So these examples vividly demonstrate what happens when uh, education provision is privatised. As well as that, uh, Dean Ashington has written a critique of the charter school movement in the conversation, and you can go to that on our website also. So that's it for me. Um, I I would like to refer people to the Guardian newspaper from the United Kingdom uh, with a very interesting article, Can the Pope Francis Clean Up God's Bank? And this gives you an idea of uh, what is going on in the Vatican Bank. But what I found interesting was just how phenomenally wealthy the Catholic Church really, really is and what's going on in in this bank and what they've been using it for. It's a comparatively recent institution, apparently. It was started in 1887 with Pope Leo XIII. I think he was the guy who got out the um, uh, encyclical against uh, liberalism and secularism. And he used it to hide the Vatican's ready wealth because he had a trunk full of gold coins under his bed uh, and he wanted to bank it. So he found the Administrazione per le opere di religione to gather more money to do good works. And it was only in 1942, at the height of the Second World War, that Pope Pius XII, you know, the guy who was friendly with Hitler, gave the organisation a new name and a clear banking mission because he wanted, guess what? He wanted the bank to protect church assets from both the Nazi and the communist threats. Well, it might have also been from the United States threats because it's also been used to uh, circulate CIA money uh, to all sorts of places around the world. And Pope John II used it to send money to Solidarity. Uh, and as well as that, it's been sent to the. It's been used to go send money to the Contras in Nicaragua, and El Salvador and Honduras. Anything that's anti-communism. Uh, uh, but there's been more dubious de- dealings in recent times with the mafia and others. So that's what our George Pell has got off to the Vatican to sort out with the help of Pope Francis. And we're told that the main problem at the bank is incompetence and only sex and crime is only a little aspect. Well, I'm sure that the Cardinal Pell will be happy to hear that. (laughs) Now, we're going to go a little bit more into the whole issue of um, church and state. 
But before we do, and this is a very good, please stay on the line because it's going to get better uh, with Robert and uh, Max Wallace and Peter from the Greek community. But before we do, I'd like to also refer you to an article by Rundle in crikey.com. I don't know how many of our listeners are interested in independent media all the way. But they must be if they're listening to 3CR. But crikey.com had this very interesting um, article on a review essay of B.A. Santa Maria by, guess who, Gerard Henderson. So if you want to find out where Mr Abbott really comes from and what really went on uh, in the 1960s or in, during the Vietnam War period uh, and the long shadow of Bob Santa Maria, who, by the way, was a great admirer of Franco. If you want to find out about this, then I'd send you to crikey.com and Guy Rundle, the writer at large, and what he has to say about Gerard Henderson and his uh, relationship with uh, Mr Abbott in their youth and Mr Santa Maria in their youth and also the relationship between Mr Howard and Bob Santa Maria. So a very interesting article indeed. But I'd like to now turn you over to the most interesting part of our radio program this afternoon an interview between Robert and Max Wallace and Peter about Greece. But first, we'll have a break. Are your energy bills too high? Are you having trouble paying them or understanding what they mean? Tried to save money by changing your energy provider but found it all too complex? You can find help at the Victorian government's new Energy Info Hub. The hub is a website that contains simple, useful information in several languages to make sure you make the best decisions possible about your energy use. Targeted information for ethnically diverse and disabled energy consumers is available at the Hub, as well as telephone and email advice services run by the Alternative Technology Association. If you're having trouble with your energy bills and want some advice, go to energyinfohub.org.au or contact the helpful staff at the Alternative Technology Association on 9631 5427 or at energy at For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. As promised last week, we have a, special, a couple of very interesting guests, special guests, one in the studio and one all the way up in New South Wales. I'd like to introduce Peter Kaliakoudis, who is... Uh. 
How are you, uh, Rob? How's it going? Uh, very good. Who's an entrepreneur here in Melbourne? And <laughs> you can probably tell from his wonderful, wonderful voice, uh, he's a Greek Australian. Is that true? Uh, stock standard, sir. Absolutely. And we have Max Wallace in New South Wales, who's the vice president of the Rationalists uh, Association of New South Wales. Hello, Max. Yes, good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you, Max? Now, it's very well indeed. Oh, I think it's wonderful to bring these two very fine gentlemen together because there's something that we promised we're going to talk about, and we are going to talk about it. We're going to talk about Greece, a very interesting country that's going through very interesting times. Uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, I think we'll have determined by the end of this little discussion between Peter, myself and Max. But more interestingly, we're interested in the relationships that the Greek Orthodox Church has with the state in Greece. Because um, here at the Dogs, of course, we're very interested in the relationship that religion has with various state entities here in Australia. And I think the Greek tale is a very salutary lesson, something we should pay attention to. So welcome, Peter. Welcome, Max. Let's kick it off. Uh, uh, firstly, to you, Peter. Can you tell us a little background about what's going on in Greece at the moment? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, where do you want me to start? Greece is in uh, massive debt. Um, Greece, un unfortunately, um, has accumulated a massive debt of... Uh, basically overspending and not collecting enough. And uh, unfortunately, we've reached this stage where uh, uh, the Greek state is, is 350 billion euros in debt and um, drowning. And um, I don't know how they're going to get out of it, but, but that's another story. Okay, so like they had too much money um, and they haven't got enough to pay it and the whole thing's a bit of a mess. Um, Max, uh, have you got any theories or ideas about, about what's going on in Greece yourself? Yeah, well, um, I... I found a document uh, published recently which said that uh, the debt was as large as 320 billion euros and 170% uh, <clears throat> of GDP. And um, to put that in some kind of perspective, Australia has a debt of 950 billion, um, but it's a much smaller proportion of GDP. Um, so for that scale, to, for Greece to be facing that scale of debt with a, a relatively small economy, it's... Um, it's overwhelming, and um, they're obviously caught between a, a rock and a hard place in that uh, obviously there's been a lot of discussion about them leaving um, the European um, zone and, and go, going out on their own, but I just can't see how that would be feasible. And uh, I think most Greek citizens uh, are pretty uh, wary of, of taking uh, such a decision, but... Um, for the purposes of uh, t today's discussion, the, um, one of the interesting things that's happened in Greece is that uh, in 2010, um, the government legislated that the Greek Orthodox Church should pay tax. Now, what? Sorry. Can you just <laughs> say shock horror, shock well, horror. Going on? You, you, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> no. Well, <clears throat> I think this is probably a, a first um, any, for anywhere in the world. And um, now... When we look at the list of taxes that they had to pay, I can just read them briefly. Uh, a tax on their substantial real estate, uh, a 20% tax uh, on rents they receive from their real estate, a 3% tax on revenues from what are called edifices, uh, religious edifices and leased lands, an advance payment of tax on their future likely income, a trivial uh, fraction uh, on inheritance and donations and some stamp duties. Now, if you look at the situation in Australia, uh, no religious organisation in Australia, uh, in, to my knowledge, would pay any of those kinds of taxes. 
And so what we find in both countries is that uh, religious organisations are multi-billionaires. And um, I've seen one estimate for the worth of the, um, the Greek church as being something like $2 billion, and I think that's a, a huge underestimate. What do you think, Peter? Um, the <laughs> If we calculate all the treasures... At Aios Oros, which is in uh, a, it's a, a Vatican style enclave within Greece that the church controls and runs, uh, totally independent of the Greek government and the Greek state. If we calculate the eight, over 8,000 titles they clearly own, the fact is that the Greek church owns majority shareholders of the Ethniki Trabazalavas, which is the National Bank of Greece. Uh, if we calculate that they collected up until recently, obviously before this crisis and the financial meltdown, but uh, up until before then, before 2008, they were collecting anything between 500 uh, million to 700 million euros in rent alone and revenue. And if we calculate that the treasures they've got at Ayosoros, which they're estimating at the value of 300 billion, well, I don't know whoever told you that the worth two billion is absolutely totally under, underestimated. <coughs> excuse me, the value of the uh, Greek church, as in what it's worth. Yeah, Peter, I just want to interrupt here and Max as well. How can we find out? I mean, is it possible to find out in Greece how much money the Greek church has, and um, are, are, the, are there any records being kept about this? No. So it's uh, their it's their um, their uh, quote inverted commas God given privilege to do as they please because they're doing God's work. Um, the Ayoros is where they where they've collected treasures and artifacts and anything else you want to know for over the last fifteen hundred years mm. have been uh, stored there. They say that uh, a rumor again that Alexander's uh, sarcophagus is there too, and everything and, and everything else they found from the original Bibles to everything else. So, what they own there and what's been stored there is anyone's guess, mm-hmm. and they have got they don't have to explain it to anyone. So, what's changed? I mean, what's changed since Syriza has got in, um, and and there's this new sort of left wing, I suppose, government, and uh, the, and the new finance minister is from Melbourne, and all that sort of stuff. Well, uh, Sydney, Sydney, yeah, oh, Sydney, boy. Sydney, Melbourne. Sydney. Yeah, but, um, he, he worked at Monash for a while. Yeah, yeah. oh, he did, did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greece, since well, okay, we have to go back a little bit further back, and I'm sure Max understands this. We discussed it uh, last week sometime. Uh, Greece became technically the uh, church became public servants, as from 1981, when uh, Andreas Papadreou from the Pasok government, which is a socialist government, or pseudo-socialist, champagne socialist, uh, who took power in 81 and basically incorporated the whole Orthodox Church as public servants. Okay, so, so this happened in 1981. Not before, but in... Yeah, correct. As public... Up to, up to 1981, the church was technically self-funded. Yeah. Technically, they still didn't pay any taxes. That is true. They never did pay any taxes because uh, for the obvious reasons what they justified. And they collected titles, basically, and, and property and, and collecting rents tax-free. What happened in 81 is Papadreou basically um, made him public servants, 10,500, roughly 10,500 priests, or at the time, how many there were, but at the moment, there's 10,500 priests, including on top of that, there's also their cooks, their drivers, their chefs, their gardeners, their servants, their uh, 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 bed warmers, their um, anything you want. And we've estimated that the church at this stage has got an em- a sub-employee basis of anything between seventy to 80,000 
employees, including the church, the priests, the archbishops, and all the rest, all under the public um, uh, treasury. Is that still the case? At this stage, yes, but it looks like it will be breaking up okay. very soon. Good, because I've got a question here. Because in 1981, the Greek Orthodox Church was an independent entity. It was in, having, in, in theory, but they still control. Theory. But they had to control the education department. They've always controlled the education department from from even before that. Even before that, and, and we'll come to the issue of schools, which I think is what we what our listeners really want to hear about. But before 1981, um, they didn't pay any taxes, but they didn't get any direct wages from the state. Correct. In 1981, they started getting wages from the state. They started being funded directly from from the state. And at that point, there was still no accountability, you're telling me. Still, Correct. Still no accountability for where that money was spent. Correct. Well, Peter, you might not know this, but in 1981, exactly the same thing happened in Australia. Oh, really? In 1981, there was a high, high court case which was put, put, put forward by the DOGS, the Defensive Government Schools Organisation, at the High Court of Australia. And at that point, all religions, after that court case, all religions were receiving direct money. It happened before, you know, unofficially. Sounds like a very similar case to Greece. But at that point, all the religious organizations just raked in all the money for their schools, all the money for their hospitals, all the money for their charity work. All of a sudden, the Salvation Army became lots of taxpayers' money funded. All the religious schools started getting lots and lots of money to educate the kids from 1981. Sounds like a very interesting time. Um, 1981 <laughs> in Greece and Australia. It's a strange parallel. What, what do you think, Max? Well, I think a, a salient factor uh, in respect of education is to point to the American situation where uh, 90% of uh, students in the United States attend public schools and only 10% uh, go to private religious schools, uh, which receive no funding from the federal U.S. government. And um, now uh, <clears throat> uh, what that has meant is that there's been a dramatic decline in um, uh, attendance in religious schools, and the church is always crying poor. Uh, the church in the United States, is on the public record, has got an uh, estimated uh, income of $153 billion a year, but it's not prepared to pay for its own, own schools, and it's still crying poor to the federal government over there. So that we were sold a pup uh, back in 1981, in big time by the High Court, and, uh, and of course, in Greece, where, uh, in a sense, the situation seems to be even worse where there's as greece is like the official religion um, the orthodox church is the official religion of greece um the the pressure i would would have thought would have been on the current prime minister uh to come good on his promises before the election and 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 look towards uh formalizing the separation of church and state in greece do you mm. think that's possible at all, Peter? Um, I believe that it will happen, but it has to happen with the new upcoming, uh, the next generation, slowly. Alexis Tsipras, you have to understand, and uh, in, in his, def- in his uh, defence, and he's actually stood by his principles, unlike many other previous politicians, uh, he was the first Prime Minister who, did not, who refused to swear on the Bible, which was like in shock for the Greek whole, the Greek society at the time. He did. He only swore to the, as in to the president of the Hellenic Republic. He's an he's a devout non-practicing, or actually sorry, and a devout atheist. He has not baptized his two sons. His second son, he named him Che, as in Czech from Czech Guevara, mind you. Uh, <laughs> his wife is even more. Um, 
even further left on the um, on the uh, on the on the perimeter, so to speak. Uh, and he has shocked the whole Greek society because never in the history of Greece has the prime minister refused to swear in front of the six, seven, eight high priests that come there to do the uh, blessing of the parliament and the swearing in of the prime minister. So in 180 years of uh, or 170 years of uh, the Hellenic Republic or the Hellenic Kingdom, whatever you want to call it, he's the first ever prime minister to non to refuse to swear anyway to the Bible and to the high priests and everything else. So why is this going to take so long? I mean, here at the Dogs, we always say, never get in the way between a religious man and a big pot of money, you know, because cause they, they're going to walk all over you. Is that the basic reason, or is it, or is it, a, is it a fact that the religious organisations in Greece have such a, such a very tight, close, we would say here, kind of cancerous relationship with the state? Is, is it, is it, why is it so difficult it, to it has apart? It has been, and uh, again, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, Max, but in Greek society... If you're, you're, you have to be, you're not, okay, the Greek society looks upon you as, if you're Greek Orthodox, you're considered Greek. If you're Greek a Muslim, or if you're Greek Catholic, or Greek Buddhist, or whatever, they don't consider you as a 100% Greek, so to speak. So that's... What about a Greek atheist? Because you just said that the, pre- the president... Yeah, well, the atheists that. now have sort of blended in. Plus, we've got a, uh, a, a small minority of, of what we call pagans who have, who have resurfaced over the last uh, probably 20 years. Oh, is, this, who, is this Greek sort of gods and stuff? Or uh, yeah, the Zeus, Zeus oh, and uh, Athena and all so, the rest of the 12 gods of Olympus. So not Odin and Thor, but no. No, the, no, the Greek, yeah, the okay, Greek yeah, version. Yeah, yeah. The Greek version. Oh, good. This is all interesting for our listeners. But, I'm, I'm fascinated. But you, but you have to understand, uh, and uh, again, because actually Max is actually uh, has very many Greek friends and um, and I'm <laughs> and actually went to Greek school too. I'm very impressed for an Anglo-Saxon. Yeah. Um, you have to understand is unfortunately with the Greeks is we haven't released the reins of of the Ottoman era. Uh, we're still a very much a superstitious lot, uh, which plays up with the religion. Because obviously, if you, you have to be to be religious, you have to be superstitious. You can't be superstitious and not be religious. If yeah. you know what I mean. Do you agree with that, Max? to run that past me again. You can't be superstitious. Without be being religious. religious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, Max, you can answer that if you like, but I, I, think, I think we'll let that I'm one pass. I'm trying to get my head around that, but <laughs> there was a, a very um, amusing incident in Greece where the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, they're everywhere. <clears throat> they were knocking on doors in Greece. Well, um, the Greek authorities came down on them like a ton of bricks, and uh, it all came to court, and they were almost banished from Greece. Uh, there was a huge reaction against them. Uh, the, uh, yeah, yeah, the Greeks didn't don't like the the. It's basically on privacy. The privacy fact they don't like their doors getting knocked by someone who's preaching the Bible. You have to understand also one thing, Max. The Greeks, out of ninety percent of the Greek population that lives in Greece, is not a practicing Christian. That's very important to understand, and that's what I'm saying. How Superstition plays up mm. with that too. Then, uh, yes, you know the Greeks will go on every Easter for the for the traditional Easter and, the and Christmas, love and they'll the biscuits, so. <laughs> yeah, and they'll get married in a Greek church and they'll baptize their kids. But they they do not go to church every Sunday. They don't confess. I actually have not met one Greek in forty years I've lived here because I was living in this Greece in the in the seventies. 
that actually has even gone to confession. He doesn't even know what – I doubt very much even the Greeks don't even know how to spell the word confession, let alone going to one. So they're not practicing, they're not practicing Christians, but they accept it. It's sort of like, oh, well, what are we going to do? It's a kind of cultural Christianity a, yeah. or something like that. So what, what, what we're calling ourselves and what it is the correct probably name is that the Greeks, uh, the Greeks in general are culturally orthodox. Okay. Now, uh, we, I, mean, I mean, we've had nice chats too, Peter. But I mean, often when we talk here on the Dogs Program, we talk about separation from religion and the state. We talk about it in the American context. We talk about it in the Australian context. We talk about it in the British context. Now, they're all English-speaking countries. You're coming to tell us about this idea of separation from religion and the state. And, and Max, I'd like to involve you in this discussion. Um, you're telling me that in Greece, it's very different. This is whole idea of separation. Yeah, did, did, did it ever happen in Greece? No. In, in the same way, it, it, in the Enlightenment no. and then the Renaissance and then no. all the religious wars in Europe. Like the Greece just went, no, we, we're not looking at that. Well, that's because obviously those 400 years are under the Ottomans or 367 years, if you want to put it on more exact exact time. And uh, this, <coughs> historically speaking, when Mehmet the Conqueror conquered Constantinople and became the new emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire in 1453, 29 May, he basically made a deal with uh, the then the, the new patriarch of the Christian uh, minority of the Ottoman Empire. His name was Gennadios, and they made the agreement that he said, I will not interfere with your religious practices. You can do whatever you want as long as you pay taxes, you, ha- you keep them obedient, and basically let me rule as I like, and you collect my taxes. And for that, I will give you freedom of, uh, of religious beliefs, to which the church collaborated, and I emphasize, underlined, collaborated, with the Ottomans suppressing the Greek masses for, for 367 or 368 years up until 1821, Max. Yeah, Max, I'd like to bring you around this. I mean, yeah. did, did you see significant contrast between the Greek experience of separation and, and what, we, what we often talk about here on the program, this sort of Anglo experience? Yeah, well, it's, uh, I was saying to Peter earlier that um, the French were in, in pretty much the same sort of position and up until 1905 when they passed a law formally separating church and state in, in France. And, and that's when uh, the French got uh, all the religious officers of the Catholic Church off the payroll in France, um, as in Greece today. They were all on the payroll in, in France. And now there's just one small area uh, near the German border of Alsace-Lorraine where uh, church officials are paid by the French state. So that was a huge uh, change in France in 1905, uh, where they drew a line in the sand and, and sort of uh, cut the church right out of the picture. And you would think, well, that's what Greece needs to do. It has to do that, and, uh, and, and they have to do that, and I agree with you 100%. But the separation between church and the state up until today is still much entrenched as one. The Greek priests not only do, I mean, the Greek church does not only pay tax, they don't pay zero, they pay zero tax on all their collections. They have come to an agreement as as Rob said earlier, some small uh, um, uh, changes, but also that the Greek priests, wherever they go, they can go to a cafe with their friends, sit on that cafe, have coffees, cakes, lunches, whatever you want. The bill comes, and the bill has to deduct the GST component. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, Yes, well, uh, the burning question, I guess, is you come down to the Greek constitution, and from my limited understanding of it, uh, the Greek church is pretty much written into the constitution, although the Technically, there may be a, um, a, 
a sort of a technical constitutional formal of separation of church and state, but it's never been... It hasn't been endorsed. It hasn't been uh, rect- yet. Correct. Mm, correct. Now, I'd like to turn the conversation now to what we feel very passionate about here at the Dogs Program. You're listening to us here on 855 on the AM dial on 3CR. And, of course, this will be podcast. So if you're listening to us with your podcast, it's it's good It's good to hear, good to, good to um, have you listen to us out there in the internet land. But um, to turn our, our attention to the education system and the comparisons with the education system of Greece and, and Australia. Now, I have it on authority that if you go to a school in Greece, there's a very good chance it's going to be a public school. Correct. Okay. Firstly, do they have um, private schools in Greece in the same way as they have up in until, Up until 81, uh, there were private schools. And then when again, when Papadrou came in, he closed the private schools. Uh, the Greek private schools. They allowed the American College. They allowed Campion College, which was, again, one of my schools in, in, in Athens, but they were funded by, by the American government or the or English government or whatever. From, uh, but all private schools were – Greek private schools were closed, which was my school, which was Cornalegio Scholi Spetson in Spetsas, uh, which I did five years there in boarding school. Mm. That was closed. Okay. But I think it's worth pointing out. So here at the dogs, we go, oh, great, all the private schools are closed and the public schools are, are, are left to sort of educate the people of Greece. But I think it's worth pointing out. I mean, I have it on, on, on some authority, and I'd like Peter you to confirm this, that um, in public schools in Greece, all students must do prayer and confessional instruction as part of a daily process and in almost all state schools. So the whole religious element of a state school, I mean, it's just that in, is, it's inside the school. It, 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 there's no separation in terms of religion and state inside the school. Not only that, but you have to learn religion is one of your, was, was one of your subjects. So that's compulsory? That's compulsory. Now, is that comparative religion? Or is that, do you find out about Buddhism? And Nothing to do. It's all about orthodox and the glory of orthodox and how orthodoxy is wonderful and everything else is all evil. Okay, right. So you don't get to find out about the Pope? No. no over, over in Rome? No, no. They're, 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 they're the arch enemies of um, the Orthodox Church. Oh, so they probably do get to find out, but, but it's not good things. <laughs> Basically speaking, from the Crusaders of the, of the 1204, and anyway, it is, I did it, and I did it in, I did six years, six and a half years of school in Greece between 1971 to 1977, and I can tell you now that uh, religion was a, a, one of the subjects, I, uh, not, uh, not a, a subject that we had to learn and mm-hmm. we had to pass. Okay, so if you don't pass religion, you don't pass school. You fail. You fail school. Is that the case now? I believe that is slightly changed, which yeah. basically tells me that year 11 and year 12 students have religion as an option. But okay. when I was there, it wasn't. It was part of an up until year 12, you had to be taught. One of the subjects was history. Another subject was religion, along with the other subjects you, you picked for you 11 and 12. Okay, so what you're saying is that up to, up to the age of 15, religion is uh, compulsory? Up to the age of year 9, your religion is definitely compulsory. Always compulsory, and after that it might be awesome. Uh, Max, can, can, have you got any comments on this whole process? I, I find this amazing. This is a state school they're talking about. We're a secular state, Western European-orientated state that we, is in the EU, and we are technically a theocratic state. That is correct. Yeah, it seems to be an uneven mixture of things. I mean... When you consider all the indoctrination that's gone on in Greek schools and to have only a small proportion of the population attending churches on the weekends, um, uh, well, you'd have to say, well, that education wasn't very successful. <laughs> but the, uh, it seems that um, the church and the state are hand in glove. And, uh, uh, that, that would have been part of the agreement, though, that the church has, has 
has that control over the state, um, Max. That's uh, well, it's the kids, really. I mean, because you're talking about you're talking about the kids, like yeah, yeah. in the school, you, you get control over the kids. Now, I've done a bit of research on the Greek education system, and um, in terms of international comparisons and the PISA survey, which has been going in the 2000s up until now, uh, the Greek education system is it performs very poorly. Perform- uh, yeah. It performs very poorly. But interestingly enough, the Greek education system has a lower teacher-to-student ratio than Finland, which performs very well. So there's a lot of teachers in there. Um, and the, it's, it's part uh, of that public service, uh, the, the, the system. It's part of a broader public service culture, but I'm, I've got a funny feeling if you're taking up a lot of the kids' time <laughs> in terms of education, making sure that they get to find out that... The, the patriarch, is it, from the Greek Orthodox? The patriarch, yeah. yeah. the patriarch's good and all the other people are bad and you, you've got to pass an exam to say that. Um, maybe I'm oversimplifying, but, I mean, the education system, it's, it's, not, it's not working in Greece. It isn't working because the, the subjects they should be teaching, which, which should be economics, which should be accounting, which should be subjects that are in, inferred with reality of today, these students don't get access to that until they, if they go to university and that's a, as a choice. So, well, what about science? I mean, what science, about science? Ph- no, chemistry and, uh, uh, chemistry and uh, physica is, are, are two subjects. They've, they've oh, always yeah. they've, they've been there. Oh, that's good. But basically – Probably predominantly watered down, but they, yeah, um, no, they they are there. But I'm, I'm talking about like accounting. I mean, seriously speaking, I came here in year ten, and I was taught accounting and economics. I was like totally oblivious to it, coming from Greece. Yeah, well, maybe we can wrap this up because it's been deeply informative, and I'd, I'd like very much to to thank Peter for coming into the studio and taking time out of his entrepreneurial life to, <laughs> to uh, being a travel agent. Ah, yeah, no, it's all right. It's all money. It's all you got to work to live. And I'd also like to thank Max Wallace for taking the time up in Sydney. But just, just to round it off, um, is there anything, Max, you'd like to say about this whole compare and contrast thing in terms of the, the relationship that religion and the state have in Greece and the relationship that religion and the state have in Australia? I mean, who's got the better deal here? Mm, well, it's uh, really comparing chalk and cheese, isn't it? Isn't That's, it? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, for, for all intents and purposes, we don't have a constitutional separation of church and state in Australia, thanks no, to the dog's no. case back in 1981, and thanks to the fact that uh, all the state constitutions of Australia uh, don't have separation of church and state either, which is why it was possible back in 2008, when the Pope came for World Youth Day in Sydney, uh, the state government of New South Wales was able to give the church $100 million. And uh, you couldn't go to a, a court and say, well, that's unconstitutional. Uh, because there is no separation of church and state in New South Wales, and, and that's true of uh, all the other Australian states. And I guess that's where there's some sort of parallel uh, to Greece, where if you were to go to a constitutional court in, in Greece and argue that all of this um, financial support of the church through one means or another is unconstitutional, I wonder what sort of a roadblock you'd run into. Um, no doubt it would be very big and very wide, but it would be fascinating to know. Yeah, Peter. Uh, comparing Australia and Greece in terms of this this whole separation of religion from the state. Well, yeah, um, I yeah yeah. This has been a bit of an eye opener for me because of meeting up with Max and telling me some few things here that I, I actually was I wasn't I was it's it's a, I I believe Max it's a lot more subtle here in Australia, okay. unless you like you guys dig in and you find this sort of stuff and. Uh, but then again, it was subtle in Greece. In a way, it's just part of in, – in Greece, it's just part of the culture. It's just something that is in, in – it's in you. It's, 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 it's this thing about it that, that it's 
It's there, and mm. and you can't be, and you felt to believe, you made to believe that if you don't baptize your kids, and if you don't practice, or not practice, but uh, adhere to the to the rituals of the faith, then you're not Greek, mm. and in, and and that peer group pressure puts that pressure on you. And I ne- and I see with Facebook, because whenever I go on my Facebook page and I ask these questions about the religious practices of the church, I get. I get hounded and, and mm. uh, lambasted and uh, abused uh, from people. They're not even practicing Christians. They're, not, they're actually, but they're culturally orthodox. Yeah. I, th- I think I'd like to conclude with just one question. It's a hypothetical question, and we're on the dogs program, so we can ask these questions. When I'm not a journalist, I'm just listening to Max tell me some things from the research, and Peter as well, yeah. who's, who's obviously researched this question very deeply. If you take the state's money away from the Greek, Greek Orthodox Church, if you tax them, and then you take the money away, and you say, okay, in schools, uh, you know, if you want to do, do religious studies, you do that after school, we've got to educate the kids. If you did that, how would that, I mean, in Greece, that would have a certain, I think, uh, effect. Like that, 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 <laughs> but in Australia, if you take all the taxpayers' money away from all the religious institutions and you take away their tax exemptions and you stop giving all the money to the private schools, I think, Max, you would agree that, that certainly the nature of religion, the quality of it would change in Australia. But I think perhaps this comparison between Greece and Australia is a very interesting one. Do you think the Greek Orthodox Church would die and wither if that was the case in Greece? Uh, well, if you're, yeah, if you're directing that question to me, the, yeah. uh, it, it's so hypothetical, isn't it? That isn't it? Yeah. Maybe the comparison would be to the Orthodox Church in, in the old uh, Russia, you know, where uh, after the communist revolution uh, back in 1921, they just nationalised the land and uh, took over all the assets of the church and set up an atheist state and um but it didn't yeah. work it didn't work though max did it no no it mm. didn't. well of course the orthodox church in russia has made a huge comeback uh, but interestingly um in the 1930s um a uh, soviet theorist by the name of bakarin um he wrote the soviet constitution and he formalized uh, separation of church and state to sort of uh, to give the, the church its place in the sun and Stalin's response to Bukharin was to uh, have a show trial and have Bukharin shot. Yeah, yeah shot, shot, yeah, yeah correct, yeah. correct. So, uh, <clears throat> and, and mind you, Stalin was going to be a priest. He was studied as a young boy to become a priest. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, it's, it, that's where I guess there's some sort of analogy, isn't it, that the, uh, even the, um, in, in, the, in the old Russia, um, Children of the revolution. I mean, they were all brought up in in the same system, and then they rebelled against it. But um, they have historical, different historical trajectories, don't they? The two countries, and and so the the solutions uh, for for Greece, it's got to be internal to the Greeks, hasn't it? Uh, it's something. Some decisions that they have to come to, they have to say to themselves, "Well, we've had enough of this." And we have to really make Greece into a secular society and at least resolve some of these, um, particularly getting the religious officials off the payroll. I think that's the number one issue. A hundred percent. The whole, the, the whole, not only the, the, their staff, the clergy, everyone has to become independent on its yeah. own and let it stand on its own two feet. And mm. that's it. Not be, not burden the treasury with paying something in the vicinity of nearly around about a half a, half of what it would it be, half a a uh, billion in, yep. in wages a year alone. Uh, yeah, well, I wonder where the media is in all this. Are they in the pocket of the church? Oh, the media, the media, the, the, you have to understand the Greek, Greek society is a little bit towards the conservative side. So the, but the media has brought up, there are sort of, they have come, 
they are going to come to an agreement, and the church, as uh, Rob wrote, uh, read before to us, that uh, there are some, going to be some taxes that are, they are going to start paying. And the days when the priest sits on in the cafe and he gets his GST component written off are probably gone and finished. Oh, well, thanks very much, Peter. Thanks again very much, Matt. I, I, I just wanted to say that uh, I, I want to see Greece, and, I, and I'm great, and I, I love uh, Hellas, and Hellenism is nothing about nothing about this this religious oppression, and I want to see a secular world standing Greece in yeah. the future. Uh, nothing you've said, Greece, and uh, nothing you've said, Peter, about Greece has let me think that anything other than you love the country in which you were born, and you're kind of fighting for something. You're, you're yeah. fighting for your country rather than fighting against it. Anyway, thank you, Max, and thank you, Peter. It's been great to have you, and you're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. The fourth National Elder Abuse Conference will be held in Melbourne on the 24th and 25th of February 2016. With our ageing population and greater focus on family violence, this conference is a timely and crucial part of the effort to stop elder abuse. Focusing on ageism, rights and innovation, the conference will benefit those working with older people. Early bird registrations close on the 11th of November. For more information, check out elderabuseconference.org.au or contact Seniors Rights Victoria on 1300 368 821. That's 1300 368 821. Seniors Rights Victoria is a 3CR supporter. The Melbourne Street Medics need your help. On Saturday the 18th of July, when we took to the streets against Reclaim Australia, Victoria Police pepper-sprayed the crowd. We treated more than 100 people, and we're asking you to donate to help restock our kits and train up new medics. We believe in empowering people to fight for a better world. Please help us to care for those who stand up for our rights. Please go to ozcrowd.com and search for Melbourne Street Medics, or go to the Melbourne Street Medics Facebook page for more information on how to donate. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Yes, a fascinating interview there with um, with our friends. Uh, it's Peter and Max. But I thought we'd finish off because um, last week we had some fascinating interviews with what was going on in New South Wales, and I thought I'd just follow up. Um, there's the whole question of the Gaby Baby, uh, a homosexual film. Actually, it wasn't a homosexual film. It was about children being brought up in same-sex couples' families. Uh, same-sex couple families, and it was a film that the students themselves thought it'd be good to show at Burwood Girls High School, and various uh, Christian lobbies decided they were going to get a bit grumpy about that. But something else has popped up, because in New South Wales, about a month ago, it was discovered that there was an Islamic prayer group in a state school in New South Wales, which were preaching um, a whole series of religious dictums that related to um, ISIS, that related to taking down the Australian secular state by, and, and being very pro-ISIS. And the Premier up there, Mike Baird, got very upset and very grumpy about it and said that there's going to be an inquiry about religious prayer groups in state schools because kids can't meet at lunchtime and talk about how good ISIS is and how bad secular, how bad Australia is. Can't be having that, said said my bed. So, um, yes, he put together a review and there was actually a memo sent out um, to New South Wales school principals that said that they were responsible, this is the principals, for policing lunchtime prayer groups. Um, but that was actually not issued until five months after the protocols had been put in place in the first place. 
So the principals were responsible for five months, and about five months after the principals were responsible, um, a, a memo was put out to principals telling them that they were. Now, this sounds like a mess. Um, and it's a mess because the the intertwining of religion in the state in New South Wales is a bit of a mess. And John Kay, um, the uh, politician up there in New South Wales for the Greens, has actually pointed this out very clearly. He says that religious education implementation procedures were changed in March this year to require principals to police prayer groups in their schools, including monitoring content, requiring parental permission and stopping proselytising to the other students. Now, principals were surveyed in July after one student at a public school was alleged to have been preaching extremist religious messages at a lunchtime group. Now, the memo was finally issued on the 19th of August to inform principals of their obligations. Copy of the memos were available upon request. Now, Dr John Kay said, and I quote, principals have been put in the impossible position of being blamed for failing to enforce protocols that they were not told existed. The requirements are onerous and close to impossible to implement, and they would have been even harder to implement if principals didn't know that they existed in the first place. (laughs) Now, public school leaders are being set up to take the blame for the failure of the New South Wales government to provide adequate briefing and resources to implement these guidelines. The survey caused widespread consternation among school leaders who were wondering what they were actually being assessed on. (laughs) And after they answered the test, they were told that the procedures they were expected to implement had actually been changed. (laughs) The changes to the protocol were valid responses to concern raised by human rights groups that religious organisations were using lunchtime prayer groups to infiltrate public schools, which which should be safe spaces for students, for families of all beliefs and none. Now, the New South Wales Liberals and Nationals only took action when it was an Islamic student, having effectively ignored ignored offensive messages being pushed by other faiths. Premier Mike Baird, according to John Kay, and I quote, was happy to grandstand in the media in response to an episode at one public school, but he did not bother to check if principals were aware of the responsibilities that had been quietly dumped on them months before. Now, this is one of probably the one of the most fundamental issues that's going to be coming along in the education sphere in terms of religion in state schools is that if Islamic people going around saying things that are um, related to their faith in schools, apparently that's not acceptable. But if um, other faiths, in particular Christian faiths, who've been doing this for so long, and in fact in many cases are paid by the state to do it, which is what they are in New South Wales with their SRE, then apparently that's all right. So all of a sudden we have the state saying that there's good religions and it's okay to talk in schools about those and then there's bad religions and it's not. This is a very, very dark place for a state to go. Very, very dark place for a state to go. And we'll be exploring these issues um, in the weeks and months to come here on the Dogs Program. But until that time, um, it's now time to say goodbye. We've had a fascinating show and please keep listening because the 3CR... Dogs program is about the only place you're going to get these issues discussed in depth. If you want to contact us, you can contact us, of course, at our website, which is www.adogs.info. And if you want to check up on us again in this particular program, you can listen to the podcast, which is available through the 3CR website, with links, of course, to the Dogs website. But until next week, uh, from Jean, myself, and Peter, and Max, and Dale, um, until next week, it's bye for now.
Says he. 